Hello, and welcome to In Conversation With, a podcast from The Lancet Micro. It's February 2023, and I'm Rebecca Barksby. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Nicola Calvani, a postdoc who researches the liver fluke fasciola hepatica at the University of Galway in Ireland. However, today we're talking about her recent efforts in promoting women in parasitology. In 2021, Nicola set up Hermitology, and the initiative has captured the attention of academic scientists and journals. Welcome to the podcast, Nicola. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. Great to have you. So first off, could you give us an overview of what Hermitology is and how it started? Yeah, well, I mean, it actually started in August 2021. As you mentioned, I had recently moved to Europe, but we were in the midst of sort of the big COVID lockdown. And I had really been missing the opportunity to meet women over here because Australia is a very long way away. And um, I was keen to get to know other women in my field or other scientists in my field. So I actually first started it after I came up with the idea for the name Herminthology. It occurred to me one day and I thought, that's a really funny pun on the word Helminthology. Um, Maybe it would be a great idea to profile some of these women that I'd been keen to meet on social media. So that's that's how I really just started with a silly idea. But then I was really keen to actually not only profile these women and promote their work, but actually show off some of the really cool opportunities that parasitology has to offer as a career and discipline. And it's quite exciting and a bit crazy to see how far it's now gone with the support of the broader parasitology community. Um, and it's provided us with some really nice opportunities to discuss challenges and opportunities that face women in the field. And we've sort of sparked some really important conversations about equality, equity, diversity, inclusion, um, and had some great uh, platforms upon which to discuss them. So we had a symposium at Copenhagen in the ICOPA conference. And now we've got this trends in parasitology paper, um, which had a really lovely cover image alongside it to showcase this first 100 women we profiled in our first year. So yeah, it's kind of just grown a bit to an accord and it's been really, really to see everyone get behind it. Yeah. So you mentioned that it's all about profiling women and, and promoting them on social media. How do you um, find these women in the first place? Yeah, that's a good question. Sometimes it's really easy and sometimes it's a little bit difficult. I, I really want to be able to reach women everywhere and it grew from there just either by word of mouth uh, or we, I was, I was quite lucky early on to have the support of several journals um, who helped me establish the Women Behind the Work initiative where we profiled the women publishing articles in press. So that helped grow it quite a lot. And we got several journals on board, which was fantastic to have that support. And now we have women or even men or, you know, other people um, just approach me about it. And I am more than happy to profile anyone at any career stage. So yeah, it's just kind of, again, grown and, and snowballed that it's now sort of self-sustaining. Sometimes I do have to reach out if I'm worried that we've had a lull, but yeah, it does keep up with itself um, organically. Yeah, it's a, it's a great initiative. And I think one of the things that's great about it is that it is so simple. And because it is so simple, it can reach women from all over the world, you know, because promoting gender equity, for instance, in the UK, it's very different from promoting gender equity in other parts of the world. But your initiative is so simple and it can reach women from all over the world. Do you know how many countries, sorry, I'm putting you on the spot now. Do you know how many countries you've managed to profile so far? Um, I, off the top of my head, I don't know. 
don't remember. I do have that information, but it's something, it's about 28 countries now that okay. we feature women from. Yeah. Um, and that's doing all the time. That's really important to me as well. I've worked um, obviously in Australia, but now in Europe, but I've also worked during my PhD a lot in Southeast Asia. And so it is important for me to have that geographic reach because I think a lot of the time that we have this position of privilege in these sort of major players in the academic world. And I don't think that necessarily showcases all the great work that's being done. So I do, it is really important to me to be able to reach out to lots of countries, as many as possible. Yeah. So there, there seems to be a few initiatives over the past few years promoting women specifically in parasitology. I attended the first Women in Malaria conference the same year that her mythology came out. And I've seen, you know, you kind of alluded to it, special journal issues on women in parasitology. And this, I've seen this big spreadsheet that gets uh, banded around social media with the huge list of female parasitologists who can be contacted to speak at conferences. So do you think this interest in promoting women in parasitology is a symptom of the times in promoting gender equity or is parasitology particularly behind when it comes to gender equity in STEM? Uh, yeah, well, first of all, I mean, I have to say, I think the women in malaria community, women in parasitology community is fantastic. And I actually wasn't super aware of that before I, you know, was sort of told you need to get onto Twitter and that's a big part of academia is actually getting yourself out there. And so have learned about that around the time that I started Hermanthology and, and they're brilliant. And I think what they did with their conference is great. I do have to say that although the stats for parasitology itself aren't great, it's probably not um, as far behind as other disciplines. Um, for example, only 4% of um, Nobel Prize laureates have been women. So parasitology is not doing excellently from an EDI perspective, but, but it's certainly not the worst. We, in our recent trends in parasitology um, article, we analyzed the percent of women, you know, who make up journal editorial boards or parasitology society executives or who had received awards recognizing their contribution to their field. And we found um, that on average, women receive awards about 28% of the time. And half of the awards that had been um, given had only been given to women 25% of the time or less. There was even one that, that um, in its 30-year history uh, had never recognized a woman for research excellence. So it's not a, it's not a good <laughs> picture, but it, it, there is signs of improvement and we are seeing sort of tables starting to turn. But for me, I think that it's really important that we analyze this data. First, because it provides an opportunity or a baseline upon which we can improve and also track the success of interventions. Um, but also I think... It provides evidence for those who either are not aware of the issue because it doesn't affect them um, or simply deny that it's a problem. But I also think you're right. There has been a groundswell of women that advocate for EDI and FET policies in STEM and other industries in recent years. But I think it's also been a long time coming and is certainly overdue because, you know, it's 2023. It's, you know, <laughs> Far past time that we have equity, uh, at least in terms of the recognition of women who, in my industry, make up you know the majority of certainly the early career demographic in you know Australia and the UK. It's time that that's recognised, and we've start to break down these barriers that prevent their advancement. Yeah, I think parasitology it's 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 a really exciting field, and but it's a very standalone field. I always find like. In a lot of medical courses and infectious disease courses, it tends to be a very small component. I think it's so different 
from bacterial or viral infections. You know, these parasites are complex. They've got complex life cycles, especially when it comes to helminths. They're basically closer to animals than they are to the traditional pathogens. So it, it means the subject is very standalone and always has been. It's always kind of been this separate side of medicine and even microbiology. And when I was studying parasitology, because most parasitologists do have to have a separate parasitology qualification, I was studying it at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. And that institution is, is you know, one of the major institutions for parasite research. And you've got institutions like the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine and the Institute of Tropical Medicine in, in Belgium. And there's this element where the field has been founded predominantly by European men. The field as we know it today has been founded by European men. People like Patrick Manson, who discovered filarial infections and schistosomiasis, and Ronald Ross looking at malaria transmission. And my, my point here is that we're, we're talking about diseases that predominantly affect um, people in Africa, South America, and parts of Asia. And at the Lancet, we published lots of papers looking at these diseases from those countries, you know, schistosomiasis, soil transmitted helminths, and malaria. And these diseases rarely cause uh, a disease burden in Europe or the USA or, or Australia. So there's almost a, a race element and a colonial element that we need to consider here too. So you and I, you know, we're both white women who specialize in parasitologies, high-income countries. How do we and other privileged groups, so men and high-impact medical journals such as The Lancet, how do we support women in low middle income countries who are working on parasite research? Yeah, this is a really great question and I'm really glad that you asked it. Um, I, first of all, I do have to go into bat for myself as a veterinary parasitologist and say that parasites actually are a major problem in the animal industry, even in like, you know, high income countries. They definitely pick up some of the biggest expense in pharma, so um, not only livestock, but also companion animals. However, you are correct in saying that in terms of human health burden, they're predominantly found in low and middle income countries. In response to your question, to answer what you've asked, basically, I have a really great quote that I often use from Mary Church Tyrrells, who um, was a suffragist and a civil rights activist, and she championed Black women in America. And I think it's one that's really great that we could all live by, which is lift as you climb. So you're correct in saying that as white women working in Europe or the US and even Australia, we have a level of privilege that our other peers aren't afforded. Those from other backgrounds face additional challenges in society and the workplace. And so I think we have a responsibility, not just to advocate for greater equity and inclusion of minorities, but to also platform them wherever possible. They don't need us to speak for them. They are more than capable of doing that for themselves, but they don't always have the opportunity to do so. So in that respect, um, for me, it was really important that Herman Dology, as I was mentioned earlier, feature women from around the world. And that part of it was encouraging people whose language isn't necessarily, the first language isn't necessarily English to provide um, profiles in their native language. Because that, you know, the ubiquity of English as a universal scientific language does provide an additional barrier to overcome. But I've also um, really tried to ensure that I have provided opportunities for women to represent themselves as much as possible. So at our symposium in ICOPA, we featured the voices and the work of women from a diverse range of backgrounds. And I, I asked them to speak about challenges that they face um, beyond the traditional white academic environment. 
Most recently, myself and a colleague from Kenya, Dr. Esther Kenduma, um, have worked really hard to establish a scholarship to support um, women from low and middle income countries to attend international parasitology conferences. It's called the Equip, uh, it's called Equip, the Equity in Parasitology Scholarship. And we recently announced it on the International Day for Women and Girls in Science. Uh, it is proudly supported by Elsevier and the World Association for the Advancement of Veterinary Parasitology, which is the conference we'll be sending the women to this year. But it aims to provide another avenue of recognition for women, but also to help them address some of the barriers that prevent their participation. But you also, again, alluded to a really great point in your question, which is that advocacy is not just the responsibility of the affected demographic. So in terms of gender equity and um, other aspects of BDI, our male peers certainly have a big role to play as allies. And it's also important um, that they commit to recognizing and working to remedy these issues so that we're not left to do all the heavy lifting by ourselves. As a result, I've made um, an effort to ensure that, for example, this scholarship, the panel of assessors um, is gender balanced and it's composed of academics and publishers from around the world. Uh, but there's certainly a lot more that men and other people in positions of, of power have um, the opportunity to do so, to support these efforts. So it's there's a lot that can be done, but importantly, the work, the burden of the work, is certainly should be shared amongst us all. I mean, it's it's a big question, as and we're not going to solve it in a in a short podcast. But you've answered it beautifully, and I think you're completely right. We do need to involve all all groups that have a, a part to play in this. One thing as a, as a medical journal that we sometimes, um, or we always discuss, is we might have a paper, say, on, on a helmet, helmet disease from a country like Uganda. There'll be 12 authors on the paper, and the first author and the last author will be from, you know, an institution in the US. And then two authors in the middle of the list will be authors who are from Uganda. And we have discussions pretty much every week um, at these meetings um, with the editors that discuss the, the paper and the research and the reviews. But we also say, you know, it's a shame that there's not more uh, in inclusivity and there's not more authors on the list, specifically in the first and last authorship. Um, yeah, tend to not go to those people from those countries. And we, we try... We try to balance this by inviting reviewers from that countries or inviting them to write a comment linked to the article. But it's difficult because we are not involved in, in the formulation of the study. So the authorship tends to be set. So I think your point about conferences is really good because it increases that visibility and it means there's going to be more collaboration between institutions. So then those positions of authorship might be more evenly shared in the future. But as we say, it's not a um, it it's not an easy thing to address because a lot of this is systemic bias. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really glad to see that those conversations are being had because that's certainly a challenge. I mean, having worked in Southeast Asia and you know had similar you know publications where you know for my PhD I was a lean author and the PI on my project was a senior author, but we had colleagues there in the middle. It's really a, a difficult challenge to overcome. But you are right again that the opportunity to create these research collaborations and networks does occur at conferences. And that is an enormous barrier. Like it's not just international travel and the expense of travel, et cetera, but also, you know, applying for visas, 
and being able to travel from certain countries to other countries is a, is a big barrier. And, you know, my colleague Esther from Kenya, when she came to present at ICOBITE in Copenhagen for the symposium that we had on EDI, that had been the first conference she had been able to attend in 11 years. And she's a brilliant scientist and she does fantastic work, not just in science, but also to retain girls in school and to engage them in, in STEM as a potential career choice. And that opportunity to attend and present at that conference provided her with so many other networking opportunities as well. And something as simple as supporting international conference attendance can be a jumping off point. So it, it is, it's a difficult challenge, but there are small um, things that we can do to help overcome those, those barriers. Yeah, I, I agree. I, the Women in Malaria Conference that I spoke about earlier, that was a fully online uh, conference. Um, I think we were pretty locked down at that point. And that was great, obviously, because it could engage with people from all over the world. And there was a panel discussion that always sticks out to me, just about women speaking about their own experiences as female scientists um, in academia, specifically working on malaria. And there was this one woman who was from an African country and she spoke about how there was sexual harassment in her workplace that had prevented lots of her female peers from pursuing a PhD on going into academia. And it stuck out to me because I did all my studying in the UK. I've never had to deal with anything like that. And it just, these conversations are so important because the biases that you and I would face will be completely different from the biases that women from other countries face. So the conversations and the interventions that need to happen to promote gender equity will be different depending on the context. And again, I think that's why her mythology is so great because you're promoting women with, with known bias or where they're, where they are from and how you need to promote them. So yeah, I don't know where I'm going with that. Just, I was just, just saying it. Um, well, thank um, you. It's true. It's, it's the challenges that are faced in a different, different cultural context. Yes. Uh, things that you cannot understand unless you're a part of them. So it's important that we provide opportunities to step outside of those contexts yeah. and engage. Yeah. So finally, what are you currently working on, both in terms of your own research and her mythology? <laughs> Thank you for asking this question because often in my conversations about her mythology, my actual research takes a back seat. Um, and it does shock people sometimes, I think, to realize I am a full time postdoc who has, you know, all the demands of a research career as well. At the moment, so as you mentioned in the introduction, I work uh, at the University of Galway in Ireland on um, a vaccine project for fascial hepatica. And we have a lot of exciting things that. We've got going on in our lab from, you know, diagnostics to vaccines, of course, um, biotherapeutics. But I'm currently working on uh, or spearheading some really cool in vitro work, which I can't actually discuss in detail at the moment, but hopefully um, that'll change soon once the manuscript is published. Um, in terms of anthology, uh, we're going to continue to obviously platform and celebrate women and ensure that the Eclipse Scholarship is advertised to the right people so that the people who need um, that support can access it. Uh, and we're also working on hopefully getting a website up that will act as a resource that advertises opportunities available to women from around the world, postdoc jobs on offer, etc., PhD schemes and opportunities. Um, so 
hopefully that will be up and running soon, but there's no timeline on that at the moment. Uh, and that's it for now. We're just going to continue doing what we do, which is profile women from as far and wide as we can. Sounds great. Well, best of luck with your root search, particularly that, that in secret in vitro stuff. Sounds very <laughs> And thanks very thanks. much for taking the time to come on and talk to us today. Thank you for having me on. It's been my privilege. Thank you to Dr. Calvani and thank you for listening to In Conversation with The Lancet Microbe. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can subscribe to In Conversation with wherever you usually get your podcasts.